you will, please stand with me at the reading of God's Word. It is a long passage, and so I'm going to read to you a portion of it, starting in chapter 22, verse 6. I do want you to leave your Bibles open because I will be pointing to other verses that we don't read, and it will just be useful for you to hear from God and not just from me. Uh, So let's hear God speaking to you and to me. This is what He wants you and me to have today. Acts 22, starting in verse 6, Paul says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise And go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see, because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, Paul's audience, the Jews, listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. You may be seated. This is a glorious passage. This is one of those where I was studying this week and I got really excited. I love the drama in Scripture. There's a lot of drama in this passage, up to this point, they listened to him. And then they called for Paul's death. 
up to that point. There are a couple of main things I want you to understand before we go deeper into this passage. And one of them is the main point that largely comes from that that high point of the story that Luke is telling, which is in verse 22. And that is where Jesus sends salvation far away from the proud. This is the main thing that Luke is communicating through this passage. Jesus sends salvation far away from the proud. And I hope you're already understanding where you want to be. How you want to be. But I also want you to see something else that's clear in this passage, and that is that this passage is also about the identity of the man who is standing before us and talking while wearing chains. You remember him from the last two weeks. Paul has been chained now by the Romans because of the uproar in Jerusalem about Paul. This is about his identity. Who is this man who is standing before us in chains? I can tell you that's what this passage is about. If you'll just look at the verses in verse chapter 21, verses 38 and 39. Look there where the, the, the Roman next to, to, next to Paul says, aren't you the Egyptian? And then he says, I am a Jew. This is about his identity. It's, it's not just about his identity and who he is. In the beginning of the passage, it's also true at the end of the passage. And when it's at the beginning and at the end, it's telling us this is about who Paul is. Look at another verse we didn't read. or We, did, we didn't read chapter 22, verse 27. The same man says, are you a Roman citizen? Are you the Egyptian? No, I'm the Jew. Are you a Roman citizen? This is a passage about who Paul is. And when it's a passage about how salvation is sent far away by Jesus from the proud, it's a passage that also will give us an opportunity to consider who you are, who I am. How do you answer that question? What advantages might you highlight if someone were to ask you, who are you? What accomplishments might you focus upon if someone were to ask you, who are you? It's very instructive that Paul boasts in his humiliation when he's asked these questions of who he is. The outline is going to be Paul's answers. Paul tells us in this long passage, he is a witness, he is a persecutor, and he is a citizen. He is a witness, he is a persecutor, and he is a citizen. Let's look together first at chapter 21, verses 37 through 40, how Paul answers that question, I am a Jewish witness, this tribune, he's a Roman commander, he is he is responsible for Paul right now. Paul is being carried away in chains. He's about to go into the barracks, about to go into his prison cell. And, and he's trying to figure out who this Paul is. He's trying to quiet the Jews in Jerusalem who are calling out now for, for Paul to die. And they're, what they're saying about Paul is he's gone into God's home, God's temple, and he's made it dirty. And so the Roman tribune 
is thinking about what they're saying and he's connecting it to the story of this Egyptian man who had recently started this revolution and come into Jerusalem to take over the whole city and to enter into the temple. He brought thousands there. But then all of a sudden, the Roman governor, Felix, who's governing the whole city of Jerusalem on behalf of Rome, he stops this Egyptian revolutionary, kills many of his soldiers, but this revolutionary gets away. And so the, the, the Roman tribune says, are you that guy? Is that why they're upset at you? Because of what you tried to do. And Paul, when he gets a chance to answer the question, who are you? He says, I am a Jew from Tarsus. But what? look at what he says in verse 39. I beg you to allow me to speak to these people. I don't know about you, but this really challenges me. I'm not walking around with chains. Paul has chains on him. And he's begging people to let him tell others about Jesus. It's challenging to me. Shouldn't we be begging people to let us tell them about Jesus? And we don't even have to suffer the way that Paul is suffering here. Why is it that we don't do this? He's begging them. Can I please speak before you take me away to prison? Give me this chance. I think the rest of the passage will help us to have this kind of boldness. He's a witness. But secondly, and we'll spend most of our time here, he's a persecutor. That's who he says he is. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 22. Paul is a persecutor. In the first five verses, he says, I'm a persecutor of, look at those words, of the way. How natural it is for us if we get a chance to talk about ourselves, to start talking about our accomplishments and, and all that we've done. And the main place where Paul, once he gets permission to speak, what he says about himself is I, I, this is not pride, this is humility. He says, I was a persecutor of those who love the Lord Jesus. That's who I am. That's who I was. And when those people in Jerusalem would have heard him start to speak, they would have been super impressed in verse 3. He trained at the feet in that city of Jerusalem, the capital city of God's people. He would have trained even at the feet of the greatest teacher of that day. In other words, he had the highest training. Maybe no one else in that whole audience could have said that. If anything will win this group over to, to release Paul, it's what he says in verses 4 and 5. Not only did he have the highest training, but he was the most zealous You can ask your chief priests. You can ask all your leaders about me. I was the one who they sent to imprison and beat Christians who followed the way of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then his witness of who he was makes a transition because all of a sudden, 
he has this direct confrontation with God the Son. I was a persecutor of the way. And that made me, he says in verses 6 through 11, a persecutor of Jesus. I want you to feel just how wonderful this passage is. I can geek out as a preacher when I read verse 22. And if I'm really in the story, I can feel it. Okay, this is God saying this is the point. When it says, up to this word they listened. And then they cried out, kill him. So cool to see as a preacher. I don't see that kind of cool thing in the text every week. But that's telling me whatever happens right here is Luke's point. But Paul's point. See, Luke's telling a story about what Paul was doing. And when he stands up to the mic and is saying what he's saying, in answer to the question, who are you, Paul? The high point of Paul's speech is verse 8. Isn't this interesting? It's a passage where everyone's saying, Paul, who are you? And when he gets to answer that question, he records a story where he asks someone else, who are you? Lord. Christian, I want you to learn with me this really important lesson. When you get a chance to talk about you, testify about Him. Talk about the Lord Jesus. Who is this guy? Should he be taken away and chained? Should he be in prison? Should we kill him? And he gets up there and he wants to tell all about Jesus. So the ladies have an opportunity this, this summer. They're going to hear from some of the ladies of this church how they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to, I want to equip you from Paul's example. All of you, when you give a testimony of salvation, don't do it the way that so many people are tempted to do it, where they, they, they think it's their opportunity to talk about their life story. And they'll sprinkle in some things about God. That's not the way Paul does it. The whole point of what he's doing is he says, this was, this was who I was before Christ. This was what happened when Christ came to me and saved me. And this is who I am after Christ. That's what it means to testify as a Christian. When you get a chance to talk about you, testify about Him. Fathers, I hope today you are surrounded by thankful people. I hope that they're thoughtful in the way that they thank you for your ministry as a father. But fathers, today you will have the chance to waste the day if you focus on you. Let me encourage each of us today to consider what has Jesus done for you this year? 
as a father? How has he used your role as a father to cause you to know him and his ways? How has he this year? This is how you don't waste today, fathers. How does how has he this year confronted you in your sin in the ways you fall short of what he wants for you to be as a father and how you treat your wife and how you treat your children or how you treat your grandchildren? How has he revealed that to you? And think then about how he's forgiven you of all of those things and more. I want to encourage you. It is it is not a bad thing to accept honor today. Christ is honored when fathers are honored because he commands that. But it is even greater for you to focus on acknowledging him today. The Lord's day will always trump Father's day. Amen. I don't want to be alone up here. Y'all just make sure I don't think I'm alone. The church that Paul is going to persecute isn't alone. You see that in verse 8? They're not alone. All of a sudden, this great light at noon is shining from heaven. And a voice comes, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's got names. He's got cities of who he's going to persecute. He's not expecting any of them to talk to him before he gets there. But he hears this voice from heaven. And he knows who it must be. This is the Jew of all Jews. The word Lord is Yahweh. Who are you, Yahweh? Who are you, God of the fathers? You're the one speaking to me. And he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And it is me who you are persecuting on your way to carry away to death and to prison my people. Verse 8, learn this about the Lord Jesus and worship the Lord Jesus. He has personal indignation and fury when his church is persecuted. Personal. When the church that is being faithful is being threatened, Jesus takes that personally. Those who trouble the church trouble Jesus personally. Don't you see it there? Also, I want you to see from these verses how it is that we can hear the truth. Jesus sends salvation far away from the proud. And we say, we don't want to be proud. We want to be humble. How do you get it? How do you get humility? Well, look at the guy who came from no unknown city. Look at the guy who trained at not a nobody's feet. Look at the guy who was called to do the greatest work of all the Jews of his day. How does he get humility? This is how you get humility. It is not by thinking about you all the time and how you need to think lower of yourself. You will never do that and become humble. You and I become humble when we see true greatness. And this is the moment where all of a sudden, This man who had such pedigree sees true greatness and everything changes. Paul 
is the exception to all the other Jews in our passage. He responds differently to the Lord Jesus revealing himself than all the other Jews. Remember what Jesus says in just a, just a moment here. He says, they will not accept your testimony about me. Well, when Jesus himself testifies about himself to Paul, he, he alone in this passage accepts it humbly. He is severely confronted. I mean, what would the tone of the Lord Jesus have been when he said this? You're persecuting me. And Paul humbly accepts Jesus' testimony, accepts basically you are wasting your life. Fool, you think you're serving God? I am God. And you're going to attack the people I love. Jesus severely confronts him, condemns his career, condemns his service before God, and then he, he does a complete 180 in all of his convictions, in all of his career. Think about this. What the Apostle Paul, then Saul, he's about to be apostled in a second, but then Saul, what he realized at that very moment. Look at what's in his hands. He's carrying those papers with the authority to kill Christians for following this man named Jesus of Nazareth as if he's the son of David, their king. Look at the, look at what he has in his hands. The chains they've carried with them to, to carry these people away who are so foolish and have brought such reproach upon the Jews that they say that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. And then this blinding light happens and He says, Who are you, Jesus of Nazareth? He's not dead. We killed Him. He's not dead. God raised Him from the dead. His voice is coming from heaven. He has power over the sun. He's just blinding me right now. He's totally turned around. Chapter 22, verse 10, Jesus says, what do I do now, Lord? Rise and go. And Paul isn't asking any more questions. He's not fighting anymore. It says, I can't see. Someone's going to have to lead me into Damascus because I'm going. Jesus is Lord. There's no more resisting once the Lord Jesus reveals himself to a proud and blind sinner. There is instead immediate repentance. There is instead an immediate reversal, a complete turnaround for Paul. So the persecutor of the way, the persecutor of Jesus becomes appointed by Jesus and persecuted by the Jews. Complete turnaround. The persecutor of Jesus is appointed by Jesus. Will you let that set in? In verses 12 through 16, look in verse 14. When Ananias comes to blind Saul, and he says, Brother Saul, the God of our fathers, the Jews are all wrong. You had it all wrong. Our God 
that you said you followed. He's the one who's revealed himself to you. He has appointed you to know his will. You were completely following blindly another will. You get to see the righteous one. And even to hear a voice from his precious mouth. For you will be a witness for him. Who he was just told he was persecuting. You will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. He does this through light and darkness. A light far brighter than the noon sun blinds the man who knows it all. Humbles him so that he has to be carried by the people who helped. We're going to help him to, to punish Christians. He has to be carried about this great man. Light and darkness. Do you know why the Bible begins with darkness? The first two verses of the Bible. The world was formless and void. There was no light. Because light and darkness are symbolic and teach us this, what it means to be without God. So that when God starts speaking in the very next verse, let there be light. All of a sudden there's life and relationship with God. The, the, the son has heard God's voice and now has a Lord. Darkness is representative of, of being without God. It's true throughout the Bible so that even God's people in the, in the book of Isaiah, they are described as dwelling in darkness. They don't have the light because they don't have God anymore. They've turned away from God. And, and the good news of the gospel starts to be preached by the prophet Isaiah when he says, you are dwelling in darkness, you're blind. You are without me. You don't really know me. But you will see a light. And then the Lord Jesus comes. God in the flesh, and he announces, I am the light of the world. And right after he said, I am the light of the world in John 8, you know, John 9 comes right after, and he finds a blind man who can't see. He opens his eyes to see. And the Jews recognize that he's teaching something. He's doing something more than just blinding and opening eyes. He says, do you think we're actually blind? Like, we're dark and, and we don't know God? How dare you suggest that we don't know the true God? And he said, because you think you see, you are blind and you're guilty. That God and those people find themselves in the Apostle Paul. He is the self-righteous, spiritually blind Jew, and in order to prove it to him, this great light shines and blinds him so that he would see that he's blind. So that Christ might open his eyes. And you see what the text says? 
in verse 14. He had seen a blinding light, but what does verse 14 says say that he saw? He saw the righteous one. He was, he, he was blind about his righteousness. He thought he knew the way to God. He thought he could be good enough if he just followed the laws of God. And he thought he was doing a good enough job. And then he saw the blinding light of Christ's righteousness. And he realizes, I don't have God at all. I'm like the world that doesn't have any light. I'm like those Gentiles out there who've never heard of God. You see, the point being made here, when you've got the sun doing its best work at noon, and then all of a sudden, a brighter light comes, the point that's being made is, Saul, you think you know righteousness until you see a greater righteousness. It's like you think you know what hot is until you play summer soccer in Texas and ERCOT be getting on your case about raising that temperature. Then you know real heat. How righteous is the Lord Jesus? Well, how blinding do you think the sun is if you were close to it? And his light is greater than that. He is that righteous. I want you to consider this moment in the life of Paul. You are persecuting me. He stops Paul from carrying out his sinful mission. And shows him what real righteousness is. And stops him from persecuting himself and stops him from gaining more guilt against God. He just stopped him. Christian, one day in your life, the Lord Jesus did the same thing for you. You were on your way to more sin against him and he just stopped you and revealed his righteousness to you. And offer to you the same kind of thing that he offers to the Apostle Paul. Wash away your sins. He's so righteous that when he dies for the unrighteous, he can make them righteous. He can cleanse them of all their unrighteousness. So he says, be baptized and wash away your sins. Not because the water washes them away, but Peter makes it clear. When we're being baptized, we're saying, I deserve death. Under this water, I deserve to, to go to hell in my sin. But Christ died for me and he was raised for me. We're appealing to God to cleanse us of all of our sins. And when we trust in Christ in that way, he washes us all clean. That's why he says, wash away your sins. But he says, by calling on his name. It is a complete reversal. He's appointed by Jesus, blinded by the light of Jesus. And then what does he say? In the book of Acts, he has appointed me as a light to those who are living in darkness. This is the Lord Jesus who forgives those who directly anger him and persecute him 
and persecute his beloved. And then after forgiving them, he appoints them to serve him. What a savior do we have in Jesus. He's persecuting Jesus, then he's appointed by Jesus, and then he's persecuted by the Jews. You see this in 17 through 22. Look again at that high point of the whole passage, verse 22. Up until this word that he says in verse 21. Up until that word, they listened to him no more. Then they say, away from the earth with such a fellow. He had already been saying, Jesus is the Lord. They kept listening. Don't you see, what is the point? What is the word that he spoke that made them say, kill him now? It's when Jesus says, they, the people you're talking to right now, Paul, will not accept your testimony. They're that wicked. And then he says, I will send you far away from them with the message of salvation. Don't give it to them anymore. And take it to the people they hate most in this world. And when they heard that word, they said, kill this man. Quickly, Paul, get out of there. Stop talking to them. Stop offering them salvation. Don't you know they beat my people? They kill my people. Do it quickly because the Gentiles won't. They will listen. And that idea is what the Jews will not entertain. It says in verse 21 when he says, I will send you far away. That's the word apostle. I will apostle you. This is how he became an apostle because he, 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 appoint, he was appointed by God to see Jesus and hear Jesus and then speak of Jesus. Those are the qualifications of an apostle. I will apostle you far away and send you to the Gentiles. Now I'm coaching soccer this summer. Um, I just want to let you in on my experience as a coach. Um, I'm just really motivated to, to reward, to win. Did someone say win? That is the truth. Good heavens. Let me just confess it from the sacred desk. I want to win. But I also, um, I'm also really motivated to reward certain players. And it's the ones who are humble. Like I'm just, the ones who, don't presume to know everything. The ones who uh, aren't asking for a bunch of things after I say, go do this, and they say, well, can I do this instead? The ones who are there to listen, the ones who are there to learn, the ones who are humble, I just, I just want to reward them. Don't you? Have you ever noticed this in your life? We love humility. It is so attractive. And in the same way, pride is disgusting. We hate pride. If you can't think of examples, it'll come soon. There are people who are proud in your life 
and you, your heart is not moving toward, I really want a blessing. And I just want to make the point that we're not the only ones who hate the proud. This is who God hates. God hates the proud. Paul had every reason to be proud. He was proud. He was not listening to God, thinking he was following God. But the moment he's confronted, he's turning. Everyone else in the Jews, in our passage, they're proud. And you need to know this is the way God works. Luke chapter 1, he said it in the beginning of his writings in the gospel. He said, his mercy is for those who fear him. Don't who, not those who think highly of themselves. He has shown his strength with his arm and he uses that arm to scatter the proud. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He exalts the humble. Your greatest problem is when you think too highly of yourself and you are in grave danger spiritually. The more you keep thinking about how they hurt you and why they're not giving you what you deserve and how you're better than than these other people or whatever. Just understand what Jesus says when he hears they kill your people. They don't listen to to our preaching. I send you far away from them and I'll send you to the Gentiles. That's the movement of the book of Acts. It's explaining to us how is it that the gospel goes first to the Jews, but then to the Gentiles, and then it's just focused on the Gentiles. Jesus orders it that way. Jesus, the Savior, orders it that way. Salvation runs far away in the opposite direction of the proud. He takes his salvation offer from them who think they don't need it. You're sitting there thinking that you don't need the Lord Jesus. Why does this guy keep on talking? Why do they listen to him so long? You think you don't need him? Is it offensive to you that there's a group of people that he would actually love? And you don't fit in that group. The idea that your greatest enemy, he would say, I just want you to observe this. When they are told by Paul how guilty they are. How wrong they have been about Jesus. They stop listening. They listen to this point and would not listen anymore. Just recognize that pattern. The proud will not, here's the word, accept the only Savior God has sent. The great enemy of your salvation is your pride. The great enemy of our growth in Christ is our pride. Our acting like we don't need Him. And He saves. This is so amazing that He would go and send salvation to those who are Far away from him, not those who were close and did not know him, but those who were far away from God. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus, listen, today you can know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior God has sent into the world. If you will humbly accept that you are lost. Because the Lord Jesus said, I came to save the lost. 
You can have eternal life if you will humbly admit you are sick spiritually. You are dying spiritually because of the choices you've made and the relationship you've tried to pursue apart from Christ with God. Because Jesus said, the well have no need of a physician. I'm a physician for the sick. And you can be saved today and forgiven of all your sins and then be called to serve the greatest king ever if you will recognize humbly you need to turn away from your life. You need to turn away from your righteousness. You need to turn away from your sin. Your righteousness is not righteous. Because Jesus said, I rejoice and heaven rejoices at those who repent. More so than those who don't think they need to repent. Will you come to the Lord Jesus forsaking all of your strength and all of your righteousness? He will save you. That's the kind of Savior He is. I want to encourage the believers here. From Paul's example, and this passage is so rich that I'm not done yet. I want to see a couple more things. And one of them is that if you are faithful to the Lord Jesus, it will not guarantee that you get the fruit that you want to get. Jesus, or, or Paul loves these people he's preaching to and they won't accept his testimony. So in chapter 22, verse 1, look at how the word defense, he made a defense. This is a different kind of defense than maybe we are used to. The humble do not take the stand to improve their circumstances. He's not defending himself. He's spreading the name of Christ, which makes things worse for himself. And he may use your faithfulness. He will call you to make things worse for yourself. And he will use you, if you were faithful in that way, in ways you can't see, in ways you couldn't imagine. Well, like, Paul doesn't get the Jews to believe in the Lord Jesus here, but here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're benefiting from those words that he spoke. So he may use your faithfulness in ways you can't see or imagine. But you let him determine what he's going to do with your faithfulness. Just be faithful. Jesus sends salvation far away from the proud. Thirdly and lastly, we see that Paul is a citizen. He's not just a Jewish witness, a persecutor of Jesus. He's also a Roman citizen. Chapter 22, verses 23 through 29, when all there, there's all this uproar from the Jews and the Roman tribune, when they're calling out for his death, he wants to understand what is going on here. And you see what he chooses to do to, to figure out what's really going on here. He orders that Paul be flogged. And you need to understand what happens when you get whipped or flogged in this way by a Roman soldier. You are either killed or maimed for life. And Paul just says, do you do this to Roman citizens without a trial? You're trying to get information from me when I'm a Roman citizen? And they stop right there in their tracks. Wait a minute. You said you were a Jew. Are you also telling me you're a Roman citizen? And they run over to the Roman tribune and said, he's a Roman citizen. What are we about to do? And the Roman citizen, or the, the, the tribune looks to him and says, 
I had to spend a lot of money to become a Roman citizen. I'm not naturally that. Are you serious that you're a Roman citizen? Paul says, by birth. And he stops everything and he's afraid. He doesn't have to be flogged, crippled, killed. Because he has the right citizenship. I just stop here to say. You won't be flogged by God, Christian. Because we are citizens of his kingdom. And we did nothing to buy it. We did nothing to earn it. In fact, we get this. Because his son, the only true citizen, was flogged in our place. Let me leave you with this thought. Jesus sends salvation far away from the proud. How will you use the mic when it is passed to you? When you have the opportunity to talk about who you are or how your life is going, what will you do? I really like the way that Bob puts it. Whenever I ask him this question, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. If you're a Christian, can you believe how good we've got? Can you believe it? Can you just think about what you deserve? You've been able to to see and be reminded what you actually deserve, whatever, however hard things are right, for, right now for you. Can you believe how good we've got it? If you look back at verses 14 and 15, and you hear these words that were spoken to Paul, they weren't spoken to you, they were spoken to Paul. And yet they are true in a different way for us and in a real way for us. How good we have it, no matter how hard it is. Look in verse 14, Christian. The God of our fathers, not your fathers, You're a Gentile. The God of the fathers of Israel appointed you to know His will. He chose you to know Him. To see the righteous one. To hear His voice. And then to speak to everyone about what you've seen and heard. How good has Jesus made it for us? Father in heaven, we pray that you would make us Those who, yes, were blind, but who are now bold. And who preach the Lord Jesus and His excellencies to everyone we can talk to. Oh, God, give strength to do it, no matter the cost. Humble us now. Pray against any pride that resists and argues and defends ourselves and our sin. May we be those who never resist the idea that we need a Savior. And that Jesus is a great Savior for sinners and only sinners, only the lost, only the sick, only those far away, we thank you that you came to us. May we serve your son. Amen.